August in the Water by Alicia Izumi for Cinema Year Zero. Hazuki Izumi, played by Reno Komane, stands on the edge of a rooftop looking out at the city beneath her, a clutter of competing architecture styles and buildings at various points of development, scaffolding, newly built, maturing, declining, abandoned and condemned. Traffic lights glow, cars drone and roads curve. A web of power lines connects every part of the city. Hazuki is deep in thought, contemplating something or other, almost as if she's listening to something we can't quite hear. Her friend Mao, played by Shinsuke Aoki, notices the rooftop figure and approaches her as becomes concerned that she might jump. This scene takes place in August in the Water from 1995, but variations of it can be found in a number of Japanese films and anime of the late 1990s to early 2000s. At the time of release, these films and series belong to different genres and production cycles, yet retrospectively we can identify a fascinating pattern of imagery, themes, characters and even locations that recur to form an enigmatic genre called Demper. Little has been written about it in English, so allow me to venture forward. Demper is a Japanese word that means electromagnetic wave or radio wave. Within the genre, characters tune into these waves and feel their effects. They sense things, hear voices and see spectres. Indeed, the stories of Chiaki J. Kanaka begin this way, including his Lovecraft-inspired psychological horror Serial Experiments Lane from 1998 and Marabito from 2004. The characters are susceptible to the waves due to alienation caused by their oppressive surroundings, which is depicted through a distinct industrial aesthetic. Antennas, chain-link fences, telephone poles, a web of power lines across the sky, trains, manholes and sewers, grainy and distorted footage, and a muted colour palette. This imagery reoccurs across Demper Fiction, from the visionary anime of Satoshi Kon, including 1997's Perfect Blue and 2004's Paranoia Agent, to the live-action poetry Shinji Iwai crafts out of adolescent cruelty, including Picnic from 1996 and All About Lily Chuchu from 2001. These bleak, alienated urban settings raise questions of tradition versus modernisation, mass communication and a critical look at new technologies. Demper situates these themes amongst references to folklore and the paranormal, such as ESP, hauntings, aliens and spirits, a combination explored by both the cult horror favourite Boogie Pop Phantom from the year 2000 and influential franchise starter Ring from 1998. These supernatural beings are known to inhabit different realms, and through electromagnetic waves, these beings can cross over to our world, and humans can cross over to their worlds. The, the blurred lines between these spaces are illustrated with surreal imagery and experimental filmmaking. Such creative innovation can be found in the surreal psychological torment of Hideaki Anno's Neon Genesis Evangelion, which began in 1995, and in the breathtaking urban dreamscapes woven by Gakuyu Ishii, such as the aforementioned August in the Water and 1993's Tokyo Blood. Within this cocktail of urban alienation and supernatural forces are plot points such as rumours, conspiracies, mental illness and delusion, often with cosmic and apocalyptic consequences, which are best embodied by the hypnotic horror of Kyoshi Kurosawa, such as Cure from 1997 and Pulse from 2001. So far, Demper has only appeared as a loosely defined genre label on English language databases for anime and video games, on the occasional blog post, a handful of letterbox lists and one lone essay. It is at once both recognisable, yet hard to define. I understand it on an emotional level, I can identify it as a vibe, yet I want to tease out the details and define it in more concrete terms. What makes something Demper? The genre derives from Demper-san or Demper-K, a name for a type of person that emerged in the late 20th century. Think of Demper-san as analogous to Tim Foyle-Hatter, someone vulnerable to paranoia, conspiracy theories and delusions, 
hoping that the foil will block out those invasive electromagnetic waves. Or maybe they're already at their mercy, following instructions heard via the waves and doing unsavoury or even dangerous things. The term initially hit the mainstream consciousness in association with the 1981 Fukugawa street murders, where a 29-year-old man indiscriminately stabbed passers-by, killing several people and injuring more. The highly publicised trial hinged on the controversial defence of insanity. The perpetrator argued that they were driven to murder after years of torment from electromagnetic waves. Over time, the term expanded to become associated with, cre with creepy, unpopular people in general, those on the fringes of society with unusual quirks and obsessions. It is here that the term overlaps with another, ataki, a social outcast who obsesses over a hobby to the detriment of their social life. Think geek, but usually uttered with more contempt. Ataku is typically associated with anime, but contrary to popular belief, it can be about many subjects, from video games to cars. What ties them together is the negative effect it has on the self. Much like Damper, the term Ataku gained traction in association with the horrific crime. In the 1990s, it was elevated from merely a pejorative label to the centre of a moral panic in relation to the years-long trial of a serial killer nicknamed by the media as the Ataku Killer, who has extensive video collection of pornography and horror films. In the years since, the collective ataku have shaken off the worst of these associations and become a phenomenon as they developed a distinct culture and became a major econ economic force that has been embraced by the media they obsess over. On the darker end of the subculture, some favour the fantasy world of their hobby over the real world and get lost in it, which in itself has become a common Demper narrative, with an iconic example being the idol otaku in Perfect Blue. Critics ascribed the emergence of Demper-san and otaku to society at the time. The Japanese economic bubble burst in 1991, and the decade that followed became known as the Lost Decade. The population faced a recession which stunted young people as they came of working age. And yet Japan was known on the global stage to be at the forefront of home electronics and new technology. This was in tension with traditions of the past and complicated their national identity as new cultural connotations outpaced traditional ones, posing the question, can an old culture survive as a new one emerges? The development of these new technologies also introduced new issues as they quickly became part of everyday life. Camcorders in every hand, phones in every pocket, so easy to use that soon everyone had one without knowing how they really worked. Life was changing as there was now constant recording, growing access and intimate conversations were now held not in person but via phones and on internet forums. As people became increasingly reliant on these technologies people began to wonder, what is the existential cost of these new conveniences? From moral panics and national identity crises to new technologies, Demper Fiction responds to this new cultural landscape. The war between tradition and modernisation often forms the backdrop of Demper Fiction in urban spaces where a dedicated few keep old customs alive, while others push on for progress. Gakugi Ishii, previously known as Sogo Ishii, depicts the tension of this conflict well in August in the Water, where participants of the centuries-old festival in Hakata pulse through the city in historical costumes with traditional Matsuri floats surrounded by modern buildings and stop traffic. In his films, Ishii finds strange beauty in the cityscapes that engulf and imprison his characters. The detective Takabe, played by Koji Yakusho and Kyo, his investigations lead to abandoned buildings and disused factories which signal the failure of a once promising industry. In Love and Pop and Tokyo Blood, supporting characters are construction workers who signify this changing landscape as they meet on noisy building sites that are the eyesore we must endure for another dubious future. The rooftop is a recurring location for these films. It can be a place for a clandestine conversation with a confidant, 
or a place for solo contemplation. The sight of a lone person on a rooftop can be startling to passers-by. The threat of suicide looms, and in Denver often does happen. Cinematographically speaking, it's an opportunity to view an urban vista, the buildings, antennas and power lines that populate the skyline. Again and again, characters are drawn to the rooftop where they can get the clearest signal to the electromagnetic waves that mesmerise and influence them. Alternatively, the clearest signal can be found by going right to the source. In Serial Experiments Lane, we meet Lane's father at his impressive six-monitor desktop, and over the course of the series, Lane's simple computer setup evolves to be larger and larger. A soundscape is built from keyboard tapping, mouse clicking, and monitors gently beeping. Denver characters are often found hunched over a desk or workstation in the dark, the only light source being the glow of a screen, or the small bulbs of a switchboard that gently whir as a pen scratches while detailed notes are being made. It's an image with unhealthy connotations, indicating obsession and someone losing touch with the outside world. In Boogie Pop Phantom, the desk-bound character is a video game attacky, finding solace in a fictional fantasy world. In Cure, they're a detective, and in Ring, a journalist, whose respective investigations turn fanatical as they uncover disturbing histories. In each instance, the foundations of their worldview will soon be shaken and their mental health questioned, as conspiracies and paranormal explanations become more and more likely. Are the characters paranoid, or are they seeing things clearly for the first time? These paranoid thoughts or deteriorating mental states are often heard through the voiceover narration. Depending on the film, the voiceover could be the trademark psychological introspection of Neon Genesis Evangelion, or the expansive philosophical musings of August in the Water, or even the sinister and somewhat incoherent rambling of Marabito. Though superficially different, what they share is a painfully personal and poetic type of soliloquy. Alongside narration, different psychological states are expressed through surreal imagery in experimental filmmaking, which often leads to a striking use of mixed media with live-action moments in anime. In Boogie Pop Phantom, a drug-idled video game attacker experiences visions which are depicted by heavily edited live-action footage in a break from the traditional animation of the series. In Serial Experiments Lane, there are animated character figures over live-action backgrounds, which has the uncanny effect of blurring the lines between the different worlds that Lane traverses. In the case of Neon Genesis Evangelion, End of Evangelion, the sequence of live-action footage breaks the diegetic barrier between the text and audience, seeming to directly address not only the delusions of its characters, but its own Ataku fandom. This subtle sense of self-awareness can be seen in the eerie experience of watching characters watching screens, frames within frames, or looking at a picture within a picture, voyeurism becomes infinite. New technologies allow people to see people through a thick glass lens or a pixelated screen, distant yet paradoxically seeing each other more intimately than ever. In Perfect Blue, this newfound intimacy fuels the obsessions and delusions of both Mima and her Otaku fan. The spectre of Denver is not limited to Japan. The same themes and same motifs can be found in English-language films from around the same time. There is Donnie Darko from 2001, Richard Kelly's film about a schizophrenic teenager who is told to commit crimes by a phantom in a rabbit suit, and whose survival of a near-death experience has apocalyptic consequences. You can find Demper in the films of M. Night Shyamalan, from the delusion of Bruce Willis in The Sixth Sense from 1999, to the haunting image of mass rooftop suicides in The Happening from 2008, and to the potent mix of aliens and religion in Signs from 2002. Even in the music video of Eminem's Stam released in 2000, in which a disturbed otaku hunches over a desk under a perpetual rain cloud. When I recognise Denver motifs in films made outside Japan, 
I begin to think of Damper less as a genre and more as a zeitgeist, a restless, nihilistic, Gen X moan of exasperation. That feeling of living in the matrix, groaning at the end of the century and looking to the new one with only pessimism. Yes, there are new technologies, but there are as many negative possible outcomes as there are positive ones. It seems inevitable that people will succumb to their worst impulses. This essay is limited to cinema and anime, but that is not to say that these are the limits of Demper, for there are Demper video games, Demper music and Demper manga. While not yet written about, I believe that there is Demper photography and that there are Demper novels, as a number of the films I've already mentioned are based on books such as Ring, Love and Pop and Perfect Blue. But I will leave those to experts and fans of those media. In the case of Moving Image, I have often run myself in circles with my definition of Demper fiction, hunched over a desk while I collect and compare screenshots, muttering to myself and scribbling notes when a connection becomes clear. With tabs upon tabs, I try to connect the dots between antennas, filmmakers and social contexts. Sometimes the nuances of the definitions contradict themselves, but that is because that is the nature of genres. They are messy with blurred edges and they mutate. They can be splintered into a dozen subgenres. Take, for example, horror. There are slashes, torture porn, haunted house, the polarising post-horror, and now, damper horror. But I say, let us be inclusive, not exclusive. Let's dive deep and watch the lesser-known films of celebrated Japanese auteurs. Let's watch the films of Japanese filmmakers that didn't make it into the canon and cross over to the West. Let us celebrate what unites them and how they enrich our understanding of the genre as we journey into the damper realm.